Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Die Hard Hoops podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer, along with co-host Taylor Kramer, and a lot of hoop to cover today, Taylor. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited for the slate of topics that we have today. You texted me yesterday and we're thinking, saying, hey, there's a couple things we got to cover. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And one of those things happened last night, and that was Steph Curry setting the all-time NBA three-point record and you being a shooter, me being a shooter, loving basketball, you can't help but acknowledge just the monumental accomplishment that Steph Curry has done today. What are some of your first thoughts? What are you like, this guy just hit 2,900 and now he's at 77 three-pointers in his NBA career? And it was um, a couple of things that come to mind is they keep mentioning the names of these other guys. You know, he recently passed Reggie Miller and then the next milestone was, was Ray Allen and how it's like, yes, he passed those guys, but then they showed that he passed Ray Allen, who's now number two in 511 less games than what Ray Allen played. And so you're talking about the same thing in terms of shooting, but it's almost like Steph is, is like, you're st- it's still somehow apples and oranges because of what he's done is so revolutionary. And what Ray Allen did is revolutionary in its own way too, in terms of the longevity and, and how, how many teams he was able to play for and kind of really extend his career because we know his approach to the game. He was in incredible shape all the way through to the end, probably still is and played many, many years for contending teams because of that skill set of being able to shoot. And then you have Steph who, seemingly has he could play forever it seems like with with just his ability to shoot he would have to change his style of play a little bit but um to do it in 500 some less games and with i don't know five six years still ahead of him of being able to shoot the ball it's uh it's amazing amazing stuff it is amazing and you know we grew up watching reggie miller we grew up watching Ray Allen play and you really during that time you figured okay if you're a great three-point shooter the way that you do it is catch and shoot that's spot up that's uh coming off of screens and then the game started to evolve a little bit and and elite elite shooters like a Ray Allen were like oh they can like run and transition be like on a full sprint and then catch and then shoot it and Steph Curry has completely changed how we view a good three-point shot with the stuff that he's done off the dribble. It just really hasn't been done uh, before, uh, especially with his volume. I mean, he's shooting this year, he's shooting like 14 three-pointers a game. And uh, I think he's making like five threes a game. I don't have those stats. That's just numbers I'm making up. So I don't know, maybe you have, Um, but like, it's ridiculous that, that he's shooting, you know, I mean, look him up. Okay. He's hitting 5.4 threes a game and he's shooting 13.4 threes per game. I'm assuming those are both NBA records and he's making a 40% of his three point shots. So the thing about Curry is his volume plus his accuracy, plus how he goes about shooting threes off the dribble, off of moving without the basketball, off of shooting in transition has never been done before. And, and even though we live in a high volume three point shooting world, there really isn't another player, even in today's game 
that shoots threes and makes threes with all that variety, even today. Maybe his brother would be the next best example. Mm -hmm. That's what's interesting is there's, I think, a lot of guys that could inhabit one of those neighborhoods, either volume or efficiency. He inhabits both of those and it's, he inhabits them in a way that we've just, we've never seen before. And there's even been discussions on some other sports podcasts. I think Kevin O'Connor is one of these guys that, that pushes this. Um, He had looked into how Steph Curry increasing his volume. So last year, I think he was averaging about 13 threes, which is what we said he's at roughly this year. And he's saying if he could get upwards of 15 threes a game, he had these figures of how much that would impact the game and that's what's so interesting is that simply by upping his volume he ups the level of like panic for the defense and it just changes everything we've mentioned before we've had conversations about Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and kind of comparing them and maybe the success they would find in each other's systems Um, the thing that that Steph does that even a, a player as good as Dame can't do who can shoot from from deep as well is just alter you can just see the panic and how players on defense are just trying to shuffle around and impact a shot in any way that they can and then you have the Warriors system which is what makes them so fun to watch and I don't know if I've mentioned this this on that podcast but there's a lot of great one-on-one players to watch and Steph oftentimes will fall into the category being a great one-on-one player to watch however compared to like a Luka or a Harden and the level of pick and rolls that they're running I think there was at one point Luca was running something like 79 pick and rolls per 100 possessions. That is, that gets old to watch. And it's kind of cute at first, like, oh, this is great. We have this European player coming in and and he's taking the game by storm and and, and running all these pick and rolls and scoring at a high level. People still prefer, I think, to watch somebody like Steph Curry, who's doing something more like 30 pick and rolls per 100 possessions. And he's still exciting to watch. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hand to be exciting to watch. And that's why he is, he is one of my favorite guys to, to tune into because he spreads the love while hitting all these threes. He does. And the, the fact that he does so much damage off the ball, it's, it's what separates him from every other player. We've talked about Damian Lillard a little bit, um, elite shooter, elite ball handler, but again, he's a good example of, he has some of those Curry characteristics but he doesn't have all of them because Curry does so much cutting. He does so much sprinting. He runs essentially as much as anybody during an NBA game. And a lot of that running is without the basketball that he opens the game up in a way that no other player does. So he has some of those characteristics of uh, a Lillard, but he also has a lot of the characteristics of a Ray Allen, of a Reggie Miller. And we haven't seen a player that combines both of those skill sets and I'm just curious to see you have this blueprint and you have Curry, who's the all time greatest example. You have his brother, Seth, who does some of that. He can do a little bit off of the dribble, not nearly at the level of his of his brother. And he's really good at moving without the basketball. But we've seen somewhat of a blueprint with Curry of how you can be the greatest ever when you have all this variety of shooting. But we haven't really seen anybody come in and try to copy it. We've seen players come in and try to do what he does off of the dribble, but not without the basketball. And so it's just curious to me, are are players thinking like, it's too much work. It's too much work to set this many screens and to run without the basketball that 
you know, it, it's just not worth it for me to even try to do what stuff's doing. I'm just, I just wonder. I, I think it's a really great thing to wonder about. And maybe if we're pointing to, you know, the evolution of how he's been able to do both things is that when he came in uh, into the NBA, I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be like a, a uh, smaller off guard, that he's going to be limited in his ability to get by people up with the dribble. And so, hey, this guy's going to have to run through a million screens. We know he can shoot, but the problem is going to be trying to get him open with his limited physicality and athleticism. And then here he is working on all those things because I'm sure he probably felt like those were things that he was maybe in some ways going to be limited to. I think he wanted to prove people wrong, of course, but we all hear what people say about our scouting reports and what we need to do well. And then he was able to spend time molding himself into a, a real point guard, someone that can handle the ball uh, when needed. And he still had all that other off ball skill work. And so I think that's, what's different is that there's easy comparisons to make about a, a Dame Lillard or even a Trey young. And it's like, they have flashes of what Steph can do, but Trey young's probably been handling the ball for his team since he was five years old and lucky for him, he came in after a Steph Curry. So people didn't judge him probably quite as harshly for his lack of size and his lack of physicality. So there was a blueprint for him as opposed to Steph starting out running off screens and then, and then building up his ball handling um, after the fact, and also getting really, really strong, probably as strong as he can get um, for his body type. Yeah. He's really even bulked up more this year, which has been really impressive that he's added. You see in his shoulders, I always thought with a basketball player, um, especially with certain body types that maybe you and I fall into this category of you could get your legs and base a lot stronger, but it's not going to necessarily mean you're adding a lot of weight. But I always felt as a basketball player, if you could get some bigger shoulders, right? And you look at Curry, his arms, his shoulders are bigger. If you can get that, there's so much in the game offensively and defensively where you're taking contact, hitting people, bouncing off people. And uh, he's really added some some strength to, to his game this year. And I think it's not only improved him overall, but it's improved his defense, which I know this isn't a full Steph Curry episode that we want to do, but like his defense is better this year too. And it's one of the reasons they're the best team in the league, really. Yep. He's just a testament to working on the things that, that you need to work on. And then I guess really just perfecting the craft and it, it can be done. It just, it really goes to show, like you, you look at even people like uh, Nikola Jokic, who was really, really struggling on defense. And all of a sudden he could be a all team defense guy this year. And that's just through putting in the effort. I mean, you mentioned time mm -hmm. in the weight room and, and seeing the changes in guys' shoulders and trying to judge like, what did they do this off season? It's, it's easy to figure that out. If you're really looking close enough, who actually worked on their game and on their body. And he's always been one of those guys year in and year out. You know that he's putting in the effort. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why there's just certain players that you just, you want to root for. And uh, you look at a guy like Curry. Yes. His dad played in the league. Yes. As a little kid, he, he knew what it took. And so he's, he had some of this blueprint just from being grown up in the environment that he did, but there's other people's kids whose dad played in the NBA too. They're not in the league. Right he had the blueprint of kind of how to go about it, but nobody can do the work for you. You have to do the work on your own. And he's done that. And uh, it's just a testament to you. You want to root for people um, 
that, you know, like they've, they've put in the work, they deserve their, the success that they've had. And he's one of those guys. So um, anything else you want to say about Curry? Cause I want to talk some Michigan state hoops. Cause you just went to a Michigan state game at the Brez. Yeah, man. I'm ready to transition to uh talking Sparty. You just went and saw, you know, I, I like that Michigan state and that the big 10 is throwing in more conference games before January hits. I think that's, that's good for, you know, basketball, college basketball in general. So two and zero in the big 10, you go to see him play Penn state. And I was following this game online throughout the day and, and they kind of, they didn't really pull away until the second half, but you were there in person. What was the vibe? How did the team play? How did the game go? And that, did that change any of your overall thoughts about this team uh, the rest of the season? I mean, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts and I know that I've mentioned football a couple of times in recent episodes, but when you're in a place like Breslin, which is a high energy environment, especially after last year with there not uh, being fans at the games, is how the football team does has a huge impact on, I think, the anxiety levels of basketball fans. And I could even argue vice versa. So here you have, uh, if we look at the, the Michigan teams, so you have Spartans coming off a great football season. And it's, it's almost like when you're coming off a good football season, there's not so much pressure on the basketball season. Like, hey, I already got quite a bit of my fill of, of rooting for a successful team. And I kind of like that anxiety being off. Like when we were a two and five team last year, I was like, man, I really hope the basketball team is good because I was miserable watching football all year. And then Michigan, here they are, their football team's going to the college football playoff and their basketball team is playing like crap. And I don't think they actually care that much is because, hey, at the end of the day, we're in the college football playoff and I don't blame them for that. And so um, it's just it's a different vibe when you have a good, successful football team. I think it takes some of that pressure off. But with that said, the team itself, I mean, the guys on the team and the coaching staff, there's pressure's not off them. So I've, I've been continuing to be very impressed. I thought that Penn State wasn't necessarily a great team. And I would have liked to have, have pulled away a little earlier and beat them by beat them by more. But I just continue to see that we have a deep team, a capable team, and that there's still guys that if you fast forward a month into the season from now, they're going to look like different players than what you what you've seen. So if we look and we're like, yeah, we just couldn't shut the door on Penn State as early as I would have liked to. Um, I still think that, you know, uh, Hauser and Christie are going to have these games where they actually start hitting some three-point shots. I think there are games in the bank where Christie is going to come in and you're going to be like, wow, he had five threes this game. He was on fire. And same thing with Hauser. And that those are how you break open games and beat teams that you should be beating more comfortably. And then if the um, if we continue to have the emergence of a guy like Akins, who's reliable, he can guard some of the best scorers that are out there already as a freshman. He, he gets deflections, he gets steals, he pins shots against the backboard. I'm telling Michigan State fans right now, get excited for this kid. I don't know how long he'll be on campus. I'm assuming he's going to at least be a two- or three-year player, um, if not a four-year player. But he will do some things at the guard position that we have not seen. I, I texted you, we have not seen since Shannon Brown. And I know that Gary Harris was a really athletic guard, but – we're talking above the rim type of stuff defensively and offensively from someone who's six, two, six, three. So all that to say, when I was at the Breslin, watched them play Penn state, 
I continue to be really optimistic about the future of this team because we have a well-rounded bunch and a lot of capable guys that I think are only going to get better. Really, really deep. And did you feel we've had some conversations about Hauser and I mean, he, he started hit by regardless of how he plays. I mean, it looks like Izzo really believes in him. He's going to get, you know, 20 minutes a game. Um, you know, were there any signs? I mean, he shot three for six, so it's not like he, even though he was 0 for 2 from three, um, were there any signs of things that he did after you seen him in person? You're like, okay, I can start to see kind of Izzo's plan for how he's going to fit within this team because he's really the only, as deep as Michigan State is, he's the only player on the team that plays the way he does. Yeah, I think that he's going to, and I, I've been I've been rough on Hauser, but I think he's going to continue to settle into a role and he's going to increase on his role. So what matters most is not my opinion of Hauser, but Izzo's opinion of Hauser. And Izzo has a really, really high opinion of Hauser. And that could be because of Hauser himself, or it could be because Izzo is thinking we're not going to get where, where we want to be without him playing at a higher level. Now, I think the difference is that when he first came to Michigan State, his high level that we had in mind was maybe like 15 and eight a game. And now we look at it mm -hmm. and we're thinking, dude, if he can just get to, you know, 12 and six or 12 and eight, that's going to drastically improve how good our team is. And I do think that he's slowly building confidence. It's really hard to, and I have to remind myself of this. It's hard to judge a player after a COVID season. You never know what they were going through personally, um, not playing in front of fans, having to, probably not socialize with other classmates at the same level because you don't want to be out for a game if you get exposed, um, what's going on with their family, all these different types of things. And so I do see him incrementally improving. And if you can look after some of these games and say, yeah, Hauser shot three for six, but he also had 10 rebounds and he had a couple of nice assists. And I think that's where if we can have him there with a slight uptick in scoring, we're going to be, I think, at the top of the Big Ten. I'm not saying number one, but we'll, we'll be in that upper tier. I want to talk, ask you a little bit about that before we go as well. Um, and it's tough when you're expected to be this high-level shooter as well. And, you know, you take two threes in a game. Well, the difference between shooting 50% from three, which is unbelievable, and 0% is making one shot. But on such a low volume of attempts sometimes, which is just normal the way the game goes, it can seem worse at times than it is. But um, one thing that has stood out to me with this team is I didn't go into the season expecting Michigan State to be a great perimeter shooting team. And we're saying this with Hauser, who has struggled from, from deep. The Penn State game, they're nine for 21 from three. That's really, really good for a team to shoot that percentage. Hoggard goes one for two. Akins goes one for one. Hall goes one for one. And then Brown, who's been really high level uh, the last couple of weeks, goes four for seven. And then you have some of the guys who you're expecting to knock down some shots. Walker, 0 for 2. Christie, 1 for 5. Hauser, 0 for 2. You're expecting those three guys to be essentially three of their probably four best shooters on the team. And they all struggled. So for them to still go 9 for 21, there's a ton of really good signs that I like about this team. And you mentioned a little bit about uh, Aikens. But I wanted to touch on a little bit who went from like not playing or playing maybe three minutes a game. He played 21 minutes against Michigan State. Izzo had a comment who he 
reminds him of Charlie Bell, which was funny because when Charlie Bell was playing for Michigan State, Aikens wasn't even born yet. Um, but they're both Michigan guys, Flint and Detroit area with with Aikens. And to be that 6'3-ish, 6'4-ish guard who has great athletic ability and the sound skill set to play offensively as well as defensively, a lot of times it seems like over the past with Michigan State, we've gotten guys who, okay, they can really, really defend, but they're a negative on the offensive end. Or, okay, this player has some real strengths offensively, but there's certain times defensively where you just can't put them out there. Similar to Charlie Bell, for our older listeners out there, Aikens is going to be that same type of player. He's going to be a plus on offense. He's going to be a plus on defense. And as I was texting with a friend of mine who went to Michigan State last week, I said, Aikens doesn't jump. He floats. And it's just, he's just a fun player to watch because his hang time, his ability to get off the floor and be so explosive, he's going to have a ton of, of highlights. He crashes the offensive glass like a guard. You know, you mentioned Shannon Brown. It's, it's been a while since we've had guards that will literally a shot goes up and they're at the three-point line. And pretty much every time when you watch Michigan State play, he will run in from the three-point line all the way into the offensive glass. And he might – five times he might not get the basketball. But he's going to get a tip. He might get a tip in. He might create a loose ball that gets us the basketball back. And then every once in a while, he's going to get a put-back dunk and people are going to remember his name – for 10, 20 years down the road. So I can go on and on with him. And uh, I'm just really excited for this Michigan State team. It seems to me like they're going to have to pull back a little bit on how many guys they're playing. But I don't know when that's going to be. Did you get a feel for that at all with some of the rotations? It is surprising that what I think also we're getting kind of thrown off by, as you mentioned, that they're throwing some Big Ten games into the mix a little earlier than we're used to. And so you're going to be playing guys like Sissoko and, and others that are further down the bench against teams like, you know, smaller out-of-state Division One schools. And then by the time we get into the Big Ten, there's we've usually trimmed that lineup. So it, it is interesting that we've been able to play some of these guys against a previously undefeated Minnesota team and beat them with, with this longer bench that we've been using and that a Penn State team. I mean, Sissoko was in there and he was, he's, he's our probably third big man, third or fourth big man. And so um, to have him in there scoring a couple of points and playing, you know, important minutes is surprising because you're looking and you're like, it's a big 10. Why are, why are we still playing 10 guys? But I think it has just as much to do with that. Izzo still in that teaching mode and, and trying to figure out who is going to be there for these, for these runs later in the season. And we're not used to that. Uh, yet with these with these games but I I actually really really enjoy it I like um, playing some of these big 10 games before Christmas and and really starting to figure out who we are as the team it definitely makes college basketball and, and conference play much more interesting to me that we're already getting some of these games um, let's start to round it out here what are some of your thoughts moving forward not just for Michigan State but the big 10 in general I know that Purdue was upset by Rutgers, which was just a, a crazy uh, clip to watch. It was almost like a middle school push shot from Ron Harper Jr. It looked like he shot it with two hands uh, to beat Purdue. And um, I still think that they're the cream of the crop. I would say they're like far and away better. Not to say that we couldn't um, 
maybe tag a game against them, but they just have this, this pedigree of Williams, Travion Williams always gives us trouble. I think there was the game last year where he had about 35 on us, maybe close to 20 rebounds, something insane. And um, I could be embellishing the rebounding number you have to check, but um, then he hit the game winning jump hook and you just knew it was in because he'd been punishing us all day. And um, then to have Jaden Ivy, who's just a really big guard. So I think from a, like a pedigree standpoint, from a um, having a couple of players or at least one who I think could be a lottery pick um, puts them, you know, they just, they have to be favored, but then you have teams like us who, we've shown in the past, we can beat anybody, even if we have a lower talent level, the way we ended last year, um, I would put us closer to maybe like three at first I was thinking, yeah, we probably will finish about sixth in the big 10. I would say we could finish, you know, third, um, up there and, and win some of these games that maybe we weren't expected to win. And if we're talking about Michigan, I watched their game against Minnesota. They just have a lot of things that they need to sort out. And I think that Howard can get them sorted. But I was talking with some of my Michigan um, fan buddies and they were just like, it just has a different vibe this year. And that can happen sometimes when you bring in really high level recruits. I mean, they had two five-star recruits, um, if not three, one of them doesn't play a whole lot, but I think they have four McDonald's All-Americans that came in this year. And it can be really tough to get those guys implemented into, into your culture. I think it can happen by, by season's end, but they were a team that was ranked, you know, in the top 10 to start the year. And, and right now they're six and four or something like that. It doesn't look like the same culture that they were putting out there last year. And I do think they can get it squared away, but it's just going to take some time. I agree. It can be tough to transition. You know, we've seen this on a much worse whole scale with uh, Memphis Tigers, but Michigan actually had a really good season the year before <laughs> and they, they've bringing back a guy like Dickinson and some important pieces. It can be, it can be tough from a chemistry standpoint to try to figure some things out and there's no telling when a team will click and finally mesh. But um, yeah, I got to give Michigan the benefit of the doubt that they're going to make some, some things happen and be a very, very dangerous team um, come end of January, February and into March. Um, I agree with you on Purdue. I still think they're the best team. I think that they are the team to beat. My expectations for Michigan State are higher than they were before the season started. You know, I expected Michigan State to be around a 2025 team. And if you look at the games that they've played and okay, first game of the year, they play Kansas. And I, I get that Kansas, you know, was ahead wire to wire, but from watching the game and maybe I'm biased because I'm a Michigan state fan. I feel like the game was closer than people, you know, people like, ah, Kansas, you know, blew out Michigan state. And there was a clear difference between those. I mean, Kansas won by 13. There were a handful of times where there were different points where momentum could have been shifted in that game. So, I mean, I thought Michigan state played a really, really good Kansas team, really tough. They played Baylor who is now the number one ranked team in the country. And again, Baylor was fantastic. You look at some of the things Baylor's done to other teams and you're like, ah, Michigan state actually, you know, played pretty well against these guys. So to me, They've only lost two games. They were both to top five ranked teams in the country. One was to the number one ranked team in the nation. 
the defending champions, Baylor has had essentially the best program. If you look at number one rankings, national championship over the past four or five years, those are their, their two losses. They got wins over the, the UConn win was really solid. The Loyola Chicago is, is going to be a win, even though it's a mid-major school that they beat. That's going to end up being a, a really good win. Obviously, they beat Minnesota, which was a solid win as well. You know, see how Louisville's season shapes out. But it's not like they're 9-2 and two and they haven't really played anybody. And they've played two – their only two losses being the two of the top five teams in the country. And I don't think Kansas and Baylor are going anywhere outside of the top 10, basically for the whole year. I'm really, really excited about what this team can do for three main reasons. One, they defend. They defend a little bit more like I'm used to seeing Michigan State defend over the past 20 years. Two, they out-rebound their opponents. This is a staple of Tom Izzo basketball. And three, this is a better shooting team than I anticipated. And in today's game, especially with the value placed on the three-point shot, if you can knock down perimeter shots, it gives you a chance to be successful. And if I had to add a fourth key to why I'm excited about this season, it goes back into one of my biggest concerns about this team, which is turnovers. But Tyson Walker seems to have steadied himself. He seems to be playing like the person that we imagined him to be coming from Northeastern. And those are all really, really, if you're a Michigan State fan, listen to this. You got to be really excited about the direction of this season. You absolutely do. And I, I did want to quickly touch on what you had ended with, which was Tyson Walker. And the one thing I noticed against Penn State is that he, he had like three layups within a span of a couple of minutes where he just outran the defense. And so it was kind of a semi-fast break, fast break type of thing. And all of a sudden, boom, he was at half court and then he was at the rim. And I think by the third one, he was running down the court with his tongue out, just celebrating. Because to me, you could look at him and it was like he was having this realization of like, they can't catch me. I'm too fast for these guys. And I love when players recognize those abilities in themselves because then they carry it through the season. And so I think those are... Those are the things I'm excited about is that we have some answers here. We just have to, to make sure we're executing them. So Tyson Walker scoring at a higher level. Christie just having one of those games where he's just unconscious from the three-point line is just going to open things up, and there are going to be things that we can carry throughout the season. So I know I'm super optimistic. I'm almost too optimistic. I'm getting a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I, it's just a really easy team to root for because it's guys that have put in the time and are really open to the coaching. And that's the other thing I would say is that I'm becoming a huge Akins fan. When he gets yanked for doing something, I don't see him pleading his case with Izzo in the sense of like, hey, man, you're wrong. Like, I did what I was supposed to do. He's, he's kind of hitting himself in the forehead, and he, and he recognizes his mistakes, and then he's open to listening. And I think pretty much everybody on the team is like that right now. So I'm very excited. Easy team to root for. Let's uh, continue through the season. I couldn't say it any better than that. And uh, Walker and Akins, they're some Jets. Those guys are some Jets, man. And uh, it's not often that you get a team that has, like, some dudes that can fly. I mean, we're used to seeing some guys on a Duke or a Kentucky or a Kansas or some of these other blue bloods that may get more of those five-star 
recruits of guys that are just like, man, they're just a little more athletic, a little more talented. To have a Michigan State team that has a couple guys on the team that can literally get up and down the court and, and fly is uh, really exciting to see. Akins has a left-to-right crossover that I'm sure we're going to see more so in years to come. But he's got a left-to-right crossover that will always have the ability to create a jump shot. And it will, it, it will build into like, I'm going left, boom, crossing back, and then he's going to end up driving and, and smoking some people on pull-ups and dunks and all this stuff. Um, so that's something to, to watch out for. He's got maybe the best left-to-right crossover that I've seen out of a, a college player. Um, it's reminiscent of like an Allen Iverson type crossover where it's a little shoulder shake and then it's that wide step out. And Iverson obviously would, would do it going both ways, but Aikens is a left to right. And it's like, there's smoke. You really can't guard it because you really feel like his body's going back to his left. And then by the time he crosses to the right, at worst, he has time to pull the jump shot because he can leap. He's got a nice high release. That's like worst case scenario. Is he going to create a clean look? Best case scenario, he's just blown by you and it's, it's game over. Um, I don't know why I mentioned that, but he's just got a smooth handle. We're going to see more of it as he gets more comfortable. And, and especially, I think, in year two of, of his career, we're going to see him start to literally break people down off the bounce, which is another thing that we have always had in a lot of our perimeter players at Michigan State, our players that we just give the basketball to when time's running out and they can make something out of nothing. You know, thankfully, we had Cash Winston on the team who was doing that for four years, but other than him, there hasn't been a ton of guys. Um, so just another uh, highlight type type player to watch that does a lot of really, really good things. Um, Taylor, Michigan State, not a whole lot of games finishing out uh, the years. We're obviously heading into the holidays, heading into exam week, but I'm with you. Um, I'm high on Michigan State. Part of the reason I'm so high on them is because I didn't have super high expectations coming in. I knew they'd be good. I expect them to be good. They're a little bit ahead of schedule and better than I thought. Combine that with, as you mentioned, starting out the podcast, how good the football team has been. It is just like a really exciting time to, to get behind uh, the Spartan team. And to go along with what you mentioned about Michigan basketball, it's taken some pressure off of Michigan basketball because of the football team. Once football season is finished and we start to get into more of mid to late January, then people are going to be like, oh, it's basketball time. And we're supposed to have a really good basketball team. And then the pressure will be on Juwan Howard and the team. So it'll be interesting to see if they have some things kind of ironed out by that time. Yeah, definitely will. There's a lot to watch for after the first of the year when when all these uh, football games start to wind down. And um, in the meantime, it's exciting. We got Michigan State playing Pitt in their bowl game. Of course, Michigan fans have a lot to look forward to in the playoff, um, including, you know, testing themselves against some SEC teams. So there's a lot to be happy about. And then there's nothing better than when when basketball gets the stage and that's what, all we can focus on. Well, Tay, thanks for taking the time. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year, happy Hanukkah, um, happy winter solstice. Uh, June, December 21st is the shortest day of the year for all those, I believe. In, is it the world or just the Northern Hemisphere? I'm not sure about that one, um, but I do remember that 21 and then the days will start to get longer after that. 
So a little bit of uh, earth science for you there. And oh, if you like the podcast, leave a positive rating. We'd appreciate that. We would definitely appreciate that. We I feel like we know what we're talking about. It would be like a Christmas present to us. It it would. It would. I, I check it every morning. So just to get a few extras would be nice. And to also, you check it every morning. Wow. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you're kidding. Uh, also, if you wrote a review, that would be nice too. Instead of just leaving a positive rating, you actually wrote a review. That would be like a bonus Christmas present. It sure would. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where else to go with that, but I would love some ratings and reviews. Uh, definitely. Merry Christmas, everyone. Peace.